The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show. In studio, I have my right hand, Sister Elise van Art, our producer, Simpiwe, and our gut coach, Stacey Holland, who is currently just outside getting a cup of coffee. Okay, um... I, while I was standing outside and I asked for my tea with almond milk, <clears throat> Gareth said to me, you know what, why are you so pretentious? And I said to him, listen to the show because today we, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, today we're going to talk about common diseases that affect our digestive or gastrointestinal tract. So since mm-hmm. Um, do you want to venture a guess about what are the most common conditions people complain about when it comes to their digestion and their guts? Um, I don't know if this is common, but I know like people can be what um, what's this term um, lactose intolerant. So I know if they have some milk, the system just goes a bit wanky. I don't know if that's uh, actual. If we can classify that and put that under for this conversation. Yes, but further down the list. Okay. At least I know something. Yeah. Anything <laughs> else? Um, what do people complain about? The, well, I know like sometimes people can complain about like being constipated, right? Oh, it's a symptom. So that that's one. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm giving you two already, Dr. Mark. <laughs> okay. You know, it's so... Um, the most common gastrointestinal complaints of people is irritable bowel or spastic colon. And then we have a very common one, reflux. What's that? Uh, heartburn. Dyspepsia. Oh. And then we have something that's quite Common and that's inflammatory bowel conditions. Mm-hmm. Now, those two are quite specific, but we're going to delve into them. One that I think um, is often um, misconstrued, but that celiac disease, or you thought about um, <clears throat> lactose intolerance. Celiac disease mm-hmm. is gluten intolerance. Ooh. Okay. And then another one, um, and this is one of the nasty ones, is diverticulosis and diverticulitis. Okay. Okay. So broadly, we can say we have inflammatory conditions of your bowel. Mm-hmm. Irritable conditions of a bowel, and that's usually a functional problem where they either contract too much or too little. Structural problems, and this is your diverticulitis, and we'll explain them. And you know what? Uh, f- with your functional problems, we can classify reflux as well. And then your intolerances, okay. uh, your basically allergic kind of immunological conditions. Elise, in our practice, which which one would you say is the most common? 
definitely inflammatory bowel diseases or irritable bowel conditions. I I also want to I I would go with the irritable bowel conditions. So let's let's start there. Irritable bowel mm-hmm. or your old term spastic colon. Now what we need to understand is this, this is a functional disease mm-hmm. where it's more got to do it's got yeah it's got to do more with your neurological system your contraction of muscle than with um anything else so if you think of an irritable bell mm-hmm. just from a name what would you say are some of the most common symptoms you've mentioned one already so constipation constipation um i'm presuming that you would need to what what's the opposite of constipation where it's just diarrhea. like diarrhea. diarrhea so i think that might be okay yeah um there's nausea <laughs> But, I mean, that's the common... Pain. Yeah, pain as well. Pain. Where? Yeah. Like around the... On your, on, uh, usually in the lower part of okay. your abdomen. Okay. Um, but it, have you ever had stomach cramps? Yes, and those are the worst. So people with irritable bowel mm-hmm. constantly have abdominal cramping. Sure. So it's bloated, it's gassy, it's painful, you have either constipation, and then you can have suddenly an onset of diarrhea, and then you constipate it again. Hi, Stace. Hi. <clears throat> you, um, you know, it's just now I told everyone that you're getting a cup of coffee. We shouldn't so, laugh about this, but anyway, carry on. Yes. Okay, welcome about to Stacey, our <laughs> coach. So we're talking about um, most common bowel conditions, mm-hmm. and Sims um, helped us to identify irritable bowel, inflammatory bowel, structural changes like diverticulosis, um, reflux, colitis. and then... Um, your last one, celiac, and mm. we'll mm. we'll bring in with celiac. So let's just run through those symptoms again. The most common symptoms in bowel conditions are bloating, pain, diarrhea, constipation, or a combination of, of them. Everything. Now, what we need to understand is if there's something wrong with the gut. It's usually affecting our immune system mm-hmm. and it can lead to serious conditions like bleeding, mm-hmm. f- fissures and um, hemorrhoids and um, open wounds and sores basically. Yeah. Yeah. It, also, Stacey is echoing. I'm like, Aaron, I what sound you, like God. <laughs> <laughs> Only you would say that. And she is a woman. <laughs> and um, one, of the, one of the other problems that we face is 
patients often present with fatigue mm. and anemia. Mm. So um, before we go into other symptoms and uh, signs, let's differentiate um, inflammatory bowel conditions from irritable bowel conditions. It's it's such a it's an interesting thing because we should differentiate in terms of the clinical picture, right? But I actually think the clinical picture is the problem that we have because it overlaps so much. Well, inflammation exists in all of them. Yeah. And and I think that's what makes gastrointestinal diseases and disorders so challenging. If someone had to look up their symptoms for one condition, those as just as just as you said now, they overlap with so many other conditions. Um, I mean, I think from a coaching perspective, it must be a, a nightmare for a gastroenterologist to eventually get to a diagnosis because those those symptoms are so similar and there's inflammation that presents all the way along the gastrointestinal tract as well. Well, you would think that, but in some cases that according to the literature in any mm. case is not always the case so let's look at your inflammatory bowel conditions Elise I want to go back a little bit I do <laughs> think it's always, because I need to the clarify it for myself <laughs> has to do it again <laughs> and do it right this time I think irritable bowel disease or symptoms um, is your first symptoms that you develop before you have yes. a proper diagnosis yes. of inflammatory bowel disease. Mm. You don't go directly except if they are looking for inflammatory bowel disease. People need to understand that if you have these symptoms of bloating, gassing, diarrhea, constipation, you're already in an irritable bowel, bowel situation. Mm. From well, there you get your diagnosis that it can only be irritable bowel disease that can be corrected with diet or lifestyle changes or whatever. Well, usually the symptoms of IBS have been overlooked for so long and then disease sets in. It, correct. Yeah. Correct. Well, you know what? I'm going to take you on a historical journey because I'm that old. <laughs> when I started in, in medicine, mm. irritable bowel Syndrome was not a medical diagnosis. Yeah, and didn't they like poo-poo it? Didn't they yeah. say, oh, it's nonsense, the same way adrenal fatigue yeah. or adrenal insufficiency is treated And today? so we are going back 25 years. Mm, sure. Um, <laughs> in, in med school, we Can learned about <laughs> the individual mm. um, symptoms mm. And it was only later on when I was already in private practice that they started putting these symptoms into a syndrome together mm. to call it a syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome. Now, let's just quickly look at the most common causes of irritable bowel syndrome. So I'm going to ask Simpiwe, Sims, what do you think causes your bowels to be irritated? Sure. <laughs> I think you give some people irritable bowel syndrome every time you ask her these questions. I think her intestines go into not thinking, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> but I did give you a clue there. <laughs> 
not sure. I I'm I don't even I'm not I don't even know. Hey, like this is such a. I mean. So have you ever heard, or ha- do you have any friends that battle with irritable bowel? Not to my knowledge at this moment in time. <laughs> so no. No. Okay. What I've seen is a lot of people maybe they they battle with the, with individual symptoms. They haven't put it together that there's actually a cluster of symptoms. Um, so only when you bring them to the consciousness of, oh, did you know that you have this and this and this and this, that it is a syndrome of symptoms or a, syn- or, or a cluster of symptoms, that they then start realizing it. And this is obviously if they haven't really gone for any form of diagnosis. I, so I for, thought you were going to say that they haven't even gone for days to, without booing. Well, that's, I mean, that's the amount the first of people thing. that yeah. I meet that think it's okay yeah. to go more than one day. Yeah, I, I just met someone recently that's gone 10 days. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and but I don't think, think that that's a, that, yeah, that's a but I also yeah. think it's a it it has a genetic component as well yes. because I'm thinking of my own family, yes. my husband, my daughter. It comes down his mother, you know, all has irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so I, we can go into the genetic aspect of it because I think it's fascinating. For me, it's also part of. The epigenetics around it is if I do what my mom did mm. and my mom did what my grand did and my mom ate what my grand did and what my great grand did, you know, how much of that is genetic and how much of that is habit that, yes, does enforce some form of genetic lineage as well. It's, it's there's, there's, fascinating. According to the literature, there's a, a minor yes. genetic component. component. But I'm still looking from some people. <laughs> Oh my baby, how can how can I help? mute me? Then I'll give you tips. Stress and anxiety. No, it was interesting because I gave the topic through a couple of days ago. Since um, I am going I'm to, to learn from you, Doctor. I'm going to. I should be asking you the question. You will be a medical doctor by the time you finish with this. Podcast. I am going to give you irritable bowel because at the moment I'm stressing you out. And one of she's already grabbing her stomach. (laughs) One of the most um, common reasons for an irritable bowel Mm -hmm. is stress Stress. and anxiety. So, is it personality related as well? Then I actually think yes. You worry when you don't have worries. If I, um, (laughs) I'm, I'm going to. Just put an observation out there. When I, when I came to Johannesburg 23 years ago, I was introduced to the Jewish community and had first-hand experience of when they say Jewish people can sometimes be the most Hypochondriacal people that you've ever met. Okay. Oops. No. And if you, if you ask your typical Jewish family, they would say, yes, we know. Some, there's always someone in the family that's a hypochondriac. But what I've also noticed is <clears throat> we, you know what, in, in a very, 
nice way call <clears throat> certain Jewish women Jewish princesses <laughs> because they grew up in a family who was fairly well off. They went to good schools. They did the <clears> – <throat> sorry, guys. There's mm. something in my throat. Um, they did the right things. They only – liked certain stuff. And you know what? I see those patients um, in my practice and most of them at some point complain about gut issues. Think about it, Elise. Yes, <clears throat> All our 30 to 40-year-old Jewish ladies have – Issues with a gut. And you know what? These are the women, and this is what I want to bring across. These are the women with three kids in different schools, mm. um, a husband that's working, them running a household, doing Shabbos, um, have to run around with extramurals. Um, there's an explanation for, uh, expectation for them to look good and blah, 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 blah. So you know what? If I look at their stress levels, it's high. Mm-hmm. Now, I look at um, some of our other patients, our patients that have retired already with lower stress levels. Their IBS syndrome uh, symptoms are less. Um, and yet we know that hormonal influences can aggravate something like IBS. Mm. So, you know, when we look at these different conditions, your inflammatory bowel conditions versus your irritable bowel conditions, I think it's a good way for us to make a differentiation. Inflammatory bowel conditions aren't that common. They are there, but they're not common. They are far more serious than inflam- uh, irritable bowel conditions. You're talking, you're, you're talking about Crohn's Here we're talking and about Crohn's colitis. and ulcerative colitis because often the only surge, uh, the only treatment option available to you is cortisone's antibiotics in at the end of it, that surgical resection of a bowel. It's also the conditions that are associated with serious complications like colorectal cancer, cancer. or intestinal cancer, where your in, um, irritable bowel, your IBS, mm. your spastic colon, is not associated mm. with that. Mm. So, so do you get in-between diseases then as well? I actually think they will overlap, yeah. like you said. They do, yeah. Um, you know, but you will have the same kind of symptoms, abdominal pain, bleeding, um, anemia, weight loss, fatigue. Bloody um, stools. Bl- yeah. All of that. And you know what? Uh, how many peop- parents teach their children to look at their stools mm. or to say, mm. you know what? My stool has changed mm. or I'm – uh, you know what? Now I was constipated, and suddenly ha- I have this severe diarrhea mm. um, for days. I mean, you know what? It stops, mm. um, and I'm constipated uh, uh, again. People don't think about that. Well, given that it's one of the topics that I see the most reluctance from a, a patient or a client to discuss, it just—it's very telling that because. We're not brought up to talk about it. It is some, particularly women. 
um, men can laugh about it all day. And if you push them, you know, obviously they'll give up that information. But women, you know, to actually get the granular detail of their bowel movements, you can see just how awkward and uncomfortable it makes so many women. Usually those are the women that struggle with um, just the general act of going to the toilet to relieve your bowels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one patient explained that it was something that she always thought that was disgusting and dirty, and so she'd hold in the sensation to go, and now that's become a norm. And, you know, it's it's just something that she was never talked about to or discussed. It was never discussed. It wasn't, wasn't a question that was really asked, and it starts with children. Well, you know what, we had a patient um, during this week, I think it was on Tuesday, um, and um, we were talking about the dynamic at home because, mm. you know, what I had a, a suspicion that the dynamic at home is creating some issues with the, that the patient is presenting with. And they have two kids. Um, yes. And the kids are incredibly busy. Incredibly well, bright. Like these activities a, and they you know, are in a school for gifted, for gifted okay. children. For one simple reason, they cannot adapt to normal school system. These kids are too bright. Now, you know what? A lot of parents and my kids are bright. These mm. kids are really, really mm. bright. Now they're about six, six, no, seven, five, and seven. Yeah, five and seven. Mm. Okay. So the oldest child had saw something. On TV, um, around uh, soiling the pants and stopped going to mm. the toilet. He refuses mm. to go to the toilet. Mm. So, you know what? Now he's developing um, severe constipation. But with that, he's now also... From never wetting the bed, suddenly developing um, enuresis or bed wetting mm. at night time. Mm. And during and, the days wearing no pieces. Um, you know what? He would lose control over his bowels mm. and soil his underwear, just fueling this thing that this is dirty. Yeah. I don't yeah, yeah, want yeah, this. So, um, you know what? The psychological part. There is plays such a big role. Yeah. We know of the brat, uh, the gut brain Access. connection, mm. um, and you know what your gut is your second brain. It mm. thinks it's responsible for your immune system, blah blah blah. But you know what? Let's just quickly focus on the inflammatory bowel condition. Can I just make a point before you go to that because I think it ties in with what Elise was speaking about earlier on, or well, actually what you mentioned in terms of stress. That feeling, many people do feel their stress here, right? They, mm. they give you that sense that they have a physical sensation. And that urge to relieve the bowels or go to the toilet is also felt here. And so what happens over a period of time for many people is they get to the point where they say, okay, I'm just stressed. Mm. I don't have to go because this feeling is the stress feeling, not the urge to go. And so over time, they just stop ignoring, uh, they start ignoring the urge to go. Visa, and visa then you have seven name days. for that. It's called tenesmus. Ah, have you ever heard of that? No. Tenesmus is an overruling urge where you need to empty your bowel. So think about when sure. you have um, um, a gastro 
And you yeah. know what? You Nothing's going to hold Something <laughs> is moving and you know that if you do not get there, it's too late. And sometimes it is too late. So that's, that's basically what tenesmus is. And people can get that because the bell, um, function is disturbed and suddenly it just says, I'm letting go because you've been holding on. But so many people don't ever reach that in their normal functioning. And this is where I'm talking about, say, 10 days of constipation where it's become um, the inability to differentiate between my my response to stress, my perceived response to stress, versus just the normal urge in the morning to evacuate the bowels. Well, you know what? Um, I, I love watching a program called Young Sheldon. Yes. <laughs> and you it's know so what? Cute. It's Big Brother, the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Now, if you see what Sheldon did – is since a very young age, he had a bell schedule. <laughs> but I don't think that's wrong. I actually no, think it's, it's brilliant. I, and I it's want a to habit emphasize that. You need that. To learn. And the other thing Wait, that he did. So now did, we need to have a bell schedule. Yes, absolutely. Yes. My time you have to have seven and half seven <laughs> seven, and yours is then from half seven no, to eight. Uh, mine's first. <laughs> I, I really do think that's a habit that you need to learn your bell. You have to train your bell yeah. to move frequently. And at a certain time. Then you don't get embarrassed during the day and as, go to a public well toilet. And as well um, as, you know, with keeping a stool diary. Yeah. Yes. You need to know what the consistency of your stool is. Color, because consistency, Because it tells shape. us smell. Smell. It tells and us a lot of what's happening inside your body. And mm. you need to think of it as a reward as well. <laughs> like steer fun at four o'clock in the wait, morning. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh, like, wait. I see it as go back. Oh my goodness. I think I've lost now 500 grams. <laughs> Speaking of which, I mean, an interesting fact that I read a few weeks ago was that people that struggle and Dr. Mark, you can maybe help me solve the puzzle because I didn't do much research after that. People that struggle with IBS and IBD um, have a higher fecal load. Yes, because the bell's not functioning so is properly. That, is that compacted and old fecal matter? Or is it just per um, bowel movement and given the problem with motility that somehow they're not absorbing enough and – too much of what comes into the system is then being evacuated? Think about it in this way. So you take in a certain amount of food and you, out of that, the only stuff that's supposed to come out is the fiber, the yeah. stuff that you cannot Cannot. absorb. Mm-hmm. But with that, there's a lot of water, etc., etc. So uh, do you have a puppy or have you ever had a puppy? No. Okay. Um, Elise has dogs and Stacy has dogs. How do you tell if your dog's sick? It doesn't poo. It, it either doesn't poo, poo or it has diarrhea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the moment that that yeah. changes, you know that your puppy is sick and you take it True. to the doctor. How do you know when a baby is sick? Same. Same. Okay. So when it comes to fecal load, if we slow down the mobility of the gut and the um, contractions of the gut, 
the process of moving the fecal matter through from your stomach through the small intestine to the large intestine into the rectum is slower. Now, what happens in your rectum? In the rectum, we absorb um, some nutrients, but mostly water. So people with constipation complain of very hard, dry, Mm. rock-like stool. For the simple reason, they've uh, all the water has been drawn out of us. And that makes it even worse. Mm. So, you know what, just think about it. If it's dry and painful and knobbly, mm. it has to come out something that, you know, it is not comfortable mm. with delivering a piece of rock. Mm. And that if causes it's straining mm, and leads to hemorrhoids and, and tearing, mm. which just makes the problem worse. So suddenly... If this is uncomfortable, mm. I'm not going to try and do it. So, you know, the problem compounds itself the whole time. Yeah. We often see with patients with constipation, if we do x-rays, you can see the fecal impaction and the fecal loads. It shows up that the bowel loops are distended. There's fecal matter that sits in there, which we can see on the x-ray. Um, you know what? And these patients um, are really, really battling. But let's go back to inflammatory bowel conditions. <laughs> so the inflammatory bowel conditions, Crohn's, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, strong genetic component. Mm. Inflammatory, it means that your immune system is activated right. in these conditions and it's often got to do with an autoimmune type of disease. Now, I want to make the differentiation between ulcerative colitis, bad, and Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease, inflammation of the mucosa. Okay, so it's just things are inflamed, they're a little bit swollen. And think about when you have sinus, if your mucous membranes are swollen and inflamed, they're irritable, they secrete a lot of mucus, you feel stuffy, it's not nice. Now, ulcerative uh, Crohn's disease, I beg your pardon, can be the complete length of your mm. gastrointestinal tract, which means it can start in your mouth. Oh. It presents the same pain, bloating, sometimes, most often fatigue, weight loss, diarrhea, sometimes bloody stools. Elise, do you want to add anything to those? I think um, I just remembered that we mustn't forget the liver and the pancreas and the gallbladder in this whole as process. well as the kidneys as yeah. well as the kidneys because but that's where you absorb your nutrients, nutrients. and you expel your waste. Well, let's actually think about it. When you, when you absorb nutrients out of your gut, it needs to go into the bloodstream. Everything that needs to get metabolized goes either to, for solid matter, uh, or sorry, for fats, goes via the liver, and the liver will then excrete bile. Mm And the bile will then help you to absorb those nutrients, and that goes back 
into um, your gut and then your kidneys start playing a role as well. So well, you mentioned such an important thing, not just with Crohn's, but that the digestive tract starts in the mouth. And so it's usually, and this is the thing with medicine, this is the body is so amazing that we have specialists. So you have dentists dealing with the mouth and gastroenterologists dealing with the rest of the gut, but bad breath, halitosis, gingivitis, problems, you know, ulcers in the mouth, those are usually our early warning yes. signs that something further along is Crohn's. either a problem most, or most going to be a problem. Crohn's, yeah. yeah. Now, I want to go to the next one, ulcerative colitis. Now, this is something that you really, really do not want because ulcerative colitis is literally ulcers and it's usually confined to the colon. Mm. They bleed, they get infected, they can perforate. Um, again, bleeding leads to anemia, leads to iron deficiency. It leads to weight loss. Um, your immune system is on constant alert and remember mm. your immune system actually starts in your gut. Mm. So you think of your immune system in the blood, the cells in the blood mature in your gut. Mm. That's where it learns what it should attack and what it shouldn't attack. Mm. So suddenly your immune system is, is activated. Now we treat these two conditions with Steroids, um, bio um, simulators. Um, it's basically chemotherapy, what we use to treat the gut. And very often this results in surgery sure. where we have to go and remove pieces of the gut, uh, often resulting in col uh, colostomy bags that needs to be worn. And um, here they have a high risk of these patients have a high risk of developing colorectal cancer or other gastrointestinal cancers. So the, for me, the two worst ones in this whole group mm. is your inflammatory bowel conditions, sure. Crohn's ulcerative colitis. So if you are presenting with changes in bowel habits, weight, if you see any bleeding, you need to go and see a medical practitioner. Is this like ASAP or do I give it a no. few more days or? So, you know what? It's like so drink poison and wait. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go back to what you do with babies and with puppies. Mm -hmm. If you see your puppy not eating, losing weight, bloody stools or runny stools, you will take it to the vet because you immediately know something is wrong. Mm. So I think very often parents would say, okay, you know what, let's deworm the kids. I think it's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. But if it persists mm. or if it's recurrent, definitely, um, you know what, you need to go and consult someone. That's actually a good question with regards to actually helping your practitioner come to a more solid diagnosis a lot sooner. First of all, knowing what your bowel movements are, the timing, being aware of 
things like color, shape, all of that. But if you actually, if there is a stool scale. The, yeah, Remember, the Bristol, we we stool, um, stool chart. Yes. we yeah. um, actually discussed that mm. seven different types of stool, mm. and you want a certain soft soft serve, serve sausage type. Yeah, <laughs> but but going to your medical practitioner armed with this information, how long it's been going on for, what have been the symptoms, when have these symptoms arisen, the duration of the symptoms, at least maybe you can add in other information. Because I think it is frustrating when a patient comes and says, okay, well, I've had diarrhea. Okay, how long has it been for? Oh, yeah, you know, like a couple of weeks. You know, as opposed to someone that said, well, actually it's gone on for seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And in the last four weeks, I started having bloody stools and da-da-da-da-da. And that's when we start forming these Venn diagrams. Oh, okay, you need to go and see a gastroenterologist or you need to go and see this type of patient. What other type of information do you think that a patient should be keeping note of when they start to have these, these gastrointestinal I, I, issues. I want to go back to what you said. That's not something that they are willing to talk about, you know, divulge. Mm-hmm. So that is something when um, I have some time with them and I go into. You it, yourself go yeah, into detail. Let's talk mm-hmm. about your but bowel People movements. don't want to talk about no, disgusting stuff. And I mean, I force them to keep a journal and a diary. And, in, you know, the first couple of weeks you can see it's just like, out of everything they don't want to yeah. do, that is the thing that they don't yeah. want Can to I do. Can I tell you guys a joke? <laughs> <laughs> it has to be funny now. <laughs> it is a funny joke. It's slightly crude, but it's very funny. <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything so, less from you. <laughs> um, a very busy practice, and this um, older gentleman walks into the practice, and he walks up to the receptionist, and you know what? The receptionists usually have asked, why do you want to see the doctor? So... Um, you know what he says to her because I have a problem with my dick, and she says to him, "But you can't say that. You know now you've upset everyone in the, in, in the waiting room. You should have told me that it was something wrong with your ear. So, or um, and I just need to see the doctor. So he looks at her and he turns around and he walks out. Um, of a, and he walks back, <laughs> and um. He goes up to the receptionist again and she asks him, yes, sir, what can I now do for you? She said to her, I want to see the doctor because I'm pissing, I'm not pissing out of my ear. You told me to not tell you what the problem is. I can't pee. So, um, you know, it, it is important for you to share this yeah. information. Yeah. With your medical practitioner, yeah. because if you don't, we often mm. miss something because you haven't told us. 100%. In South Africa, medical practitioners are trained to make a diagnosis mm-hmm. on number one, the clinical history that the patient presents with, and then a physical examination. Mm. Not like in, um, Developed European and especially America, where the patient comes in, has a battery of blood tests, an MRI, a CT scan, chest x-rays, and they make a diagnosis on chatbot, and then they go and see the patient. So I need to stop watching Grey's Anatomy. Stop watching Grey's Anatomy because it doesn't work. You see, the reason is also some people don't realize maybe that they have blood in their stool because they, they don't look. They don't look. And they don't see that they still went from a light brown color to a very, very dark color. Or sticky. Or Yes, or even sticky. And sticky and meaning… mucus in and blood yes. in. Mucus. And you yeah. shouldn't I be have. wiping 
more, honestly speaking, more than four or five times just to be safe. Like even five times is going to mm, something's going on. Your body's speaking to you. And that's something that also takes people a long time. Eventually I have to say, okay, so um, there's a friend of mine, his child says he has a ghost poo. That's how we know he actually has good bowel movements. Cause he's like, I went to the toilet and then I wiped, but there was nothing on the paper. <laughs> it disappeared. It's a ghost poo. And we're like, actually, boy, that's a good thing. You know, that's, that's what we actually want. So if someone is wiping like a lot, then also that's something that they have to take note of that they need to speak to their practitioner about. Or when you wipe and, you know, it, it's uncomfortable and mm-hmm. you see a bit of blood because when you have annual physios. So um, I want us to talk quickly. Can I ask, if you get IBS? Irritable bowel syndrome. Yes. Can it be something that can go away? Or is it something that you sit with for the rest of your life and can it escalate to IBD, irritable, uh, inf- inflammatory bowel disease? Stacy is nodding her head. <laughs> um, I think, Elise, if you manage IBS, irritable bowel, well, it goes away. Okay. If you manage your stress levels, if you manage your activity, if you watch your diet, if you take away the causing factors, smoking, alcohol, those kind of stuff, if you eat the right types of food that doesn't irritate the gut and causes the bloating, et cetera, et cetera, yes. And, you know, it's very important that we understand mm, that. Mm. Your immunologic, uh, immunological conditions, your inflammatory conditions, is uh, that's another question. Mm. And then, you know, this brings us to the structural ones, the diverticulosis and the diverticulitis. Yeah. I think you as need well to explain as reflux. The, the difference between diverticulosis okay, so and diverticulitis. Diverticulosis is, and why we call it a structural problem, is think of your gut as um, one of those long sausage balloons. Okay. Okay. Or as a tire. If there's a weakness in the wall of that tire and we have pressure, what happens? It forms a little bubble. Mm-hmm. So think of that balloon that you put in your hand and you squeeze it and it pops up between your fingers. That's a diverticle. Okay. Okay. So with diverticulosis, you have these little bubbles that starts yeah. forming due, usually due to excessive pressure mm. that you have in your bell. So these are people that are straining a lot. Usually they have a, a, a diet poor in fiber, All rich in protein, alcohol, mm. um, you know, with constipation, which can come from any of your other diseases. Constant diarrhea where they try and keep everything in and, you know, what you increase the pressure in the bowel. And when we just have those little bubbles, we often present with abdominal pain, bloating. Um, there's a term called obstipation. Have you ever heard of that? That is where you you have a bowel movement 
but it doesn't complete. So you start pooing and suddenly you feel that you're still full, sure. but you know what? You can't, you can't empty your bowel. That's called obstipation. For one simple reason, it's uncomfortable. It's sore to empty your bowel. So, you know what? The pain overrides and now you hold on and you actually just well, compound the, the problem. Peristalsis has been somewhat paralyzed. So Absolutely. it's slower and motility is slower as well. And these little bubbles, because they sit on the inside and they pop outwards. So you have this little opening. Now things can go and get stuck in there, mm. like seeds, etc., etc., mucus, and they can get inflamed, they can get infected, they can bleed, and when this happens, it turns from diverticulosis into diverticulitis, which can be and most often is a medical emergency. And the way in which you treat this is you give the bowel a break. In other words, liquids only, clear liquids um, for a couple of days. And you need to cover these people with uh, proper painkillers, anti-inflammatories, most common. And then you also need to put them um, most often in hospital because of that bowel Bursts or ruptures mm. um, or starts bleeding profusely, it constitutes a medical emergency. And very often, you know, but these people can end up with a resection of a part of a bowel where it where it is happening. I think it's an important distinction that diverticulosis, so diverticulosis and diverticulitis are diverticular diseases. Or part of diverticular diseases. The diverticular are those little polyps, those, well, not polyps, those sacs, right? Sacs. I think that's P-side sacs. And when the person has these diverticular, but they're symptom free to some extent, then it's diverticulosis to a point. To a point so I, is, I had yeah, it and then suddenly I had it switched over, um, right? I, yeah. Diverticulitis, which developed within two days. And how long did we battle to mm. get it under control? Mm. Elise, mm. Uh, Stacey, you guys helped me with sure. this. Just, Almost four years. Yeah. Sure. Um, and was you, you was diagnosed with a colonoscopy or, or what, what, how, well, how was pain, you eventually? Then we did a sonar to oh, see sonar, if there was okay. anything. And then we did a CT scan and okay. then a colonoscopy. Okay. So that, that's a good. A good point to bring in also the progression of eventually getting your diagnosis as diverticulitis because all your symptoms would have started with IBS. Then, yes, you, yes, then you must absolutely. have thought, okay, is this IBD? What is it? Is it Crohn's? Is it, you know what I mean? You're asking those questions because if you start researching the symptoms and only through that progression of your CT scan, sonar, all of that, and eventually the colonoscopy, did you get to the diagnosis of diverticulitis? I can tell you one thing that was positive from this diagnosis of diverticulosis for me hmm. gave me the freedom to fart whenever <laughs> I wanted. <laughs> Because and he does that. It's <laughs> <laughs> something we actually haven't brought up either. Another embarrassing question is: no, but Are you flatulent? <laughs> um, 
for one simple reason, if if I hold on to that, it builds up yeah. the pressure. Yeah. And Elise, you've seen it happen in the uh, in the practice station. You've seen yeah. it if I eat incorrectly, I within. Five minutes. And my stomach I, starts growling. <laughs> and I did not fight. <laughs> I am in so much pain. And then, yeah. you know, what? It's, it's that obstipation sure. part where everything goes into a spasm. You can't get it out. Actually, you spoke about Big Bang. Did you ever watch the episode where Sheldon was Christopher's, convinced? Christopher's <laughs> was convinced vegetables. he needed his appendix <laughs> um, taken out. And there was something else around that where he was eating broccoli. The pain builds up to a point where it's debilitating. It's, I think it's probably one of the most, like people obviously think that this is a life threatening condition and all they need to do is release that gas. Can we please go to SIBO? Before we get to SIBO, I want <laughs> us good. to just to good as quickly well. talk about one of the other structural diseases and this is reflux. Ga- gastroesophageal oh, reflux, reflux disease, disease. Okay. Um, heartburn. Um, this that is gets thrown around so much. What, Have heartburn? you ever had heartburn? No, but I just hear the term all the time. Like someone would be like, I'm just suffering from heartburn. heartburn. I, need to, I need to just get like, you know, they go to the garage and get some meds quickly. And Ooh, it's like I a, think it's probably one of the most expensive conditions to have from a gut coach perspective. And it's one of the most uncomfortable. Expensive. If Yes, because I think people don't make an effort to resolve it because it's like, ugh, it's heartburn. So they go, Gaviscon is not cheap. Mm. I mean, one sachet at a garage is 12 rand. A bottle of Gaviscon is 100 rand. And, and yes. the amount of people, 100%. And people just go through When is the last time that you bought Enos? Yes, it's been forever. Like, Okay, well, you're very lucky. If you have sure. severe reflux, that bubbling Burn mm. Mm. in your throat. The constant coughing mm. is debilitating. It 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 keeps you awake at night. You can't sleep. Nothing takes it away. It really, really is bad. And if you are presenting with symptoms of heartburn, indigestion, um, burning in your chest, burning as in the well. chest, constant coughing, feeling hungry all the time. Um, you know what? You need to go and see someone that can go and take a look at whether you have a hernia mm. between the stomach and your esophagus, whether there's ulcers that's causing this. Um, and usually this is again related to diet, lifestyle, stress, smoking, alcohol, uh, certain types of foods, but we'll discuss that. In um, one of our and next again, that would be sessions. endoscopy to rule out Absolutely. to make sure you need that to go and investigate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Elise, we've done the reflux. Um, can we? Do you want to chat about SIBO, yeah. small intestinal bacterial well, overgrowth, I think or do you want need to, to speak to talk about, about gluten? And we need to speak about gallstones or mm. gall function mm. in the whole intestine system. Because if your gallbladder is not functioning properly or it's been removed. Or if it's been or it's been removed, you can sit with IBS symptoms. Mm. And that's the important part because gall plays a big role in structuring your bowel, of fecal yes. matter. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And also in your cholesterol metabolism. Exactly. Okay. So um you know what? What what we'll do is we'll let those conditions 
stand over to a next discussion. So over the next couple of weeks, we will be talking about um, your gastrointestinal tract, diseases, treatment options, how to identify and getting to the right people. So I think for the majority of today, we spoke about the irritable bowel conditions, IBS. Uh, just to recap, this is a condition that has to do with the functioning of a gut, the mobility, the contraction of the gut. It can over be, it can either be over contracting, giving you the cramps and the pain. It can be the fact that it's under contracting, giving bloating. Um, it's associated with a lot of stress, certain types of foods, alcohol, smoking definitely plays a role in irritable bowel. Inactivity. Inactivity, diet. It's something that you can manage at home Mm. by changing your lifestyle, changing your diet, sleeping properly and um, managing your stress levels. Its counterpart, the more serious one, um, is your immunological inflammatory conditions like uh, Crohn's disease, which affects the whole gut, your ulcerative colitis, which affects mostly the colon and the rectum, presents with pain, diarrhea, um, weight loss, fatigue, sometimes blood in the stool or bloody stools or rectal bleeding. It's associated with a higher incidence of colorectal cancer. And this is something that you really need to go and see your practitioner about. Um, these conditions can overlap. So do the symptoms and signs. And mean the diverticular diseases, diverticulosis and diverticulitis, um, which is structural problems. It goes hand in hand quite often with reflux. That was my first symptom ever since I was a child was reflux. Um, we can manage these conditions, again, increasing our fiber intake, developing good bowel habits, um, food that we eat, staying away from things like lactose and gluten that affects that. And um, for today, I, we're going to leave it there. Next week, we'll be back. We'll take a look at some of the interventions that we have um, from a nutritional as well as supplemental perspective. And then in two <coughs> weeks' time from today, let's come back and let's talk about um, SIBO um, and, you know what, the organs that are involved mm-hmm. yes. in our gut, which includes your pancreas, your liver, your gallbladder, and the kidneys. Until then, guys, thank you for joining me. Um, brace yourself. I can see that they put up cold clouds in the studio already. Um, for you who haven't seen it, take a look at Gareth's show. And you'll see, um, you know, with the cloud change color as he changes his mood. <laughs> so um, until next time, we wish you well in health. Bye. Bye. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge.
Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.